Welcome to our second Cephal podcast. I'm Kevin Phillips Royce. You know, 2020 and 2021 have been such a difficult period for all of us. The pandemic and all of its devastating effects have meant loss for all of us and really forced us to consider what matters in our own lives and as a society as well. I lost the love of my life in October of 2020, uh, Royce M. Becker. Uh, Royce was gifted, an artist and a book cover designer who met Jacob Smolian uh, back in 2015 and started designing book covers for Sagging Meniscus Press. She loved working with Jacob, who gave Royce the creative freedom that really other publishers could not give her. Um, And in the following conversation with Jacob, we talk about music, childhood, art, philosophy, and the importance of all of it in this seemingly absurd world that we all inhabit. The music you're listening to right now is Jacob Smullyan playing Schubert's Sonata in D. And it kind of underscores his love of music. And I began our conversation by asking Jacob what he liked to do as a kid growing up. So, I mean, growing up, I was always uh, interested in all the arts. My focus was always music. I always, that was always central for me. And, was, there a, uh, was there a piano in the house? Yeah, there was a piano in the house, and I was playing from an early age. I didn't actually start lessons uh, until I was, I think, seven or eight. But, you know, my mother was showing me things when I was four. So uh, I, I, I was always very motivated. I read a lot and I liked to draw. The good part of my childhood was doing these things. So and you were like a, this little creative kid, you know, that was kind yeah, of- I, I was a creative uh, uh, kid and I, I uh, was very interested in the, the history of music and, and, uh, and of art and literature. And I, um, at a very early age, I discovered sort of the avant-garde of the early 20th century um, in music, uh, Satie and Polinaire wow. and Cocteau and Picabia. And I love Picabia's uh, art. I had a, which had around the house, this uh, MoMA catalog of okay. a show from the 60s about um, art in the machine. And this and is when you were how old? Like 10, I, I mean, I was, I was def- 10 or younger. And uh, so... So that is so was, interesting. Wow. So I was, uh, I, I, Satie was sort of an obsession uh, and also his attitude towards the world, a very rebellious and sort of eccentric uh, approach to, uh, to the world. This mm-hmm. suited me. Some of my tastes definitely were f- formed very early. Also at the same time, uh, in addition to this sort of avant-garde or old-fashioned avant-garde uh, stuff. Uh, yeah. The uh, with music, I was brought into something quite different in a way. The uh, you know, Beethoven and Schubert and Bach and Schoenberg. I was I was a big fan of because of of my modernism of Schoenberg and Verez and all you know these avant garde composers. Wow! But but some of them, unlike the sort of more whimsical French uh, 
figures, much more um, serious, philosophical, uh, emotional. And um, those are still my, you know, the center of my world. So your intellect uh, was really, I mean, developing, I mean, as compared to the rest of us, because that age, uh, at like around 10 or 11, I was still putting baseball cards on the sp spokes of my my bicycle <laughs> while you um, were while you were doing this highly you know high level intellectual uh, exploration. It, it, except that it really isn't and wasn't high level. Uh, I'm not uh, an intellectual. I uh, I'm I'm really much more uh, instinctive. Really, come on, uh, Jacob. You don't consider your, you don't consider yourself an intellectual. At least well, I'm. I'm intellectual in that I'm involved with things that are normally that are associated with the with the intellect. But I don't like figuring things out, actually. I think uh, you've got a great <laughs> intellect. I, I, you know, I beg to differ. I, but, I enjoy your intellect. Stupid, but 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 I'm not. I, that's not what I mean. I'm saying that my approach to these things. OK, uh, uh, I, I don't really think are, are particularly intellectual approaches. I see. Despite the fact that the things that interest me are sort of intellectual topics, philosophy. My father was a philosopher, so really? I I I grew up in um, having Socratic dialogues with him. And uh, uh, wait a so minute, I, stop, I, let let's stop a minute. You 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 grew up having Socratic dialogues with your dad. I mean, and then your mom was fostering your music career. That's incredible. <laughs> that's so wonderful were you close to them or did you rebel against that too or how did that work out no i i, I was close uh my my but for with my father that was sort of his way of um encountering me he was quite a lot older he was in his 50s when i was born okay and um sort of a repressed person in a certain way i mean there was a mm -hmm. i always felt a deep affection but uh he would uh discuss uh philosophical topics like you would with a introductory philosophy class with me yeah. he would ask me a question and this that's what i thought and i would say something and then he would he liked to argue he taught me how to argue he he uh, would tear apart my idea he'd put uh objections forward and i'd try to answer them and it's impossible to beat him right and right. and uh so then uh i you know, I might change my mind to go back like a week later and say, well, um, you know, I would argue the opposite position to him. And then he would just switch sides. And, and oh, <laughs> man. Me, uh... <laughs> he really, he really trained you then. Do you remember, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember like uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, arguments that you, that you had? Can you give me an example of something that, you, you know, you still remember? I'm, I know that that he introduced me to uh, Barclay's dialogues and when I was very, very young and the idea mm. of, in effect, like the idea of the world not being real, by not being able to know that things were the way that they seemed. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this this uh, made a big impression on me when I was seven. I mean, it's sort of a lot to throw on, on a little kid. <laughs> How did the other kids in the classroom re react to Jacob Smullyan? Um what was your relationship with your your friends? Did you have a lot of friends? And what was it like for you to be this, I don't know, wonder kid, but, you know, pretty smart kid. And uh, uh, it was not good. That must have been tough a, for you. It was not a good situation on, uh, for a decade. Uh, I remember um, 
my first day of school in kindergarten, I uh, went in and um, uh, was standing in line. Everyone was going to be given a crown, uh, you know, a paper crown to, to be told that they were a king or a queen. One of these these exercises in building self-esteem. Yes. And there was another person, actually a person I knew later in life, was a lovely guy. Um, but uh, he looked at me with a very, you know, he was my age, he was five. He looked at me with a dark expression and picked his nose took what he'd produced and put it in his mouth, began to eat it and said, I don't like you. (laughs) So my my relationship with the world uh, was was not very good. And and what I saw from the world wasn't that attractive either. So So that kind of encapsulates your childhood, right? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. And you had to wear that poor crown all day long. <laughs> what a wonderful story that is. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. And then you just come home from school and be like, screw this. I'm just going to play the piano for a while. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so it was a, a solace for me and you know, a part of my life that was alive compared to the part that was really blighted. And that's my belief in art. Um is or I guess a kind of faith is still there because I really don't believe in it. I don't believe it changes the world. I don't. I don't have evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I'm motivated by that. I'm motivated by the idea that this absurd thing, this mm-hmm. absurd activity, makes a fundamental difference. That 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 it's worth something. And right. so when I jumped into publishing, uh, you know, much later uh, after you know many years in a a non-artistic career. I was certainly motivated by that. I asked Jacob how the Sagging Meniscus Press got started and how he met Royce Becker. A friend of mine had died and left a manuscript. Okay. Uh, that's why I started the the press. Uh, and uh, it oh, was a I totally didn't crazy that. manuscript. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I wanted to at least like, print it privately for people who knew him. And as I began working on that and figuring out what was involved, I realized that also I'd known a lot of writers uh, over my life. And so there was all these manuscripts that were being privately circulated. And I realized that, you know, there are all a lot of talented people who just weren't going to even try to be published. So I sort of wanted to take some of this stuff. I realized, well, you know, I'm printing this book and I could start a press. It would help this book because it would have a place to go. Right. Uh, and there are other things to publish. And so I got the ball rolling and it sort of took on a life of its own. That's how I got to know Royce. I wrote her and she, uh, I, I wrote to various uh, uh, cover artists and most of them didn't respond. Yeah. But Royce did. Uh, we spoke and, and uh, from the beginning, it was just a very uh, easy, uh, sympathetic communication. And it's uh, funny uh, because um, both it's, uh, you and Royce sort of have similar backgrounds. As you know, Royce's uh, dad, uh, Maximilian Becker had helped uh, publish The Little Prince, among other things, and um, comes from a, a very literary background. And, he was a uh, pianist. Right, and he was a pianist. And, uh, you know, among other things, that's that's kind of, Royce is kind of the bridge that brought you and me together, right? I mean, uh, and here we are working on our, uh, working on our stuff on the Cephalo podcast and uh, among other things in this interview and uh, this relationship that uh, 
continues to to deepen and uh, provide me with a lot of satisfaction, uh, both reading and uh, just discussion and things like that. So it's a wonderful thing she left us, right? <laughs> Among Absolutely. No, she, that were great. She, she gave know. us a, a great deal. Yeah. I'd like to talk about the exacting clam. I should say the exacting clam and its offspring, uh, the cephalopod cast. How did that come about? And what kind of uh, audience do you expect to reach with those two entities? Well, the the uh, impetus for the for exacting clam was I was publishing books by individual authors, and I saw that each of those authors sort of had their own world. And, you know, there, there weren't a lot of overlaps. Like, you know, there was uh, even socially, like, you know, everyone had their own circle that was enthusiastic about it. And I wanted these authors to get to know each other's uh, work and, and the, their readers to know each other. Mm-hmm. And um, also just uh, every writer has their own world in their work. And as a reader, you want to try to make sense of, how one world makes sense and another very different world also makes sense. And they're, mm-hmm. they're relevant to one another, even though they can't literally include each other. And so uh, the idea of bringing it all together into a publication appealed to me. And so I, I, I had that idea quite early on. So the, the other thing I really wanted to do was to see what these writers would do, because uh, I was sort of the central hub for the press, my taste dictated what I chose. Okay. I wasn't doing the writing. I was curious what uh, they would choose. So, I mean, all of those people were, you know, I respected their taste. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to to follow them a little bit. And I knew that they would be interested in something that maybe I wouldn't normally be, or Mm -hmm. I wouldn't find. Mm -hmm. And um, so my goal really was to, to broaden the circle, um, make it, even less about me and um, more inclusive and more diverse. I think it's working. I, I'm very happy we have a couple of issues and um, a couple more in the works. And it's uh, been very heartening. Can you talk about some pieces in uh, issue number two of Exacting Clam that you're, you know, that really uh, kind of struck you and you, or maybe surprised you that that are in the issue that people might want to take a look at? Uh, there, are, there are many, I hate to leave anything out, but there's a remarkable essay on synths, uh, S-C-E-N-T-S, uh, by uh, Tomoe Hill, uh, uh, Synths in Childhood, that uh, uh, I find it quite an overpowering piece. It summons up uh, memory through synths so, so powerfully that there's, uh, it, it has a, a sort of gentle violence uh, and I, I, wow. I'm fascinated by that piece. There's a wonderful essay by Angela Storita on the city talking about New York during the pandemic and urban design. I um, actually read that um, just a few uh, nights ago and I, I just loved it. I, I just, it was it was wonderful. There's an excerpt from a book by Seth Rogoff, mm-hmm. uh, Two Commentaries on Jacob's Ladder, which uh, I, I think is extraordinarily uh, uh, beautiful. An American writer in uh, Germany, uh, P.J. Blumenthal, a commentary on Jonah, which is also, uh, it's, it's quite a long story, 
Yeah, uh, it's not actually a commentary. I mean, it's a it's a short story that is in the form of this uh, an analog to the the Book of Jonah. Remarkable piece of writing, and that that's it was a new writer for me. It wasn't one of from our staple. Lots of new voices for me that um, that I'm I'm in, encountering for the first time that have have, have uh, come in that I'm I'm very excited uh, about. I'm sorry for everyone I'm omitting, but. No, no, it's it's uh, I'm I'm sure they're going to be mentioned in the future at some point or maybe uh, we'll uh, feature them on the uh, cephalopod cast or in some form or fashion. Um, so about the, the podcast, um, just so wonderful that you're doing it. Thank I, you. I love the first episode. I'm very eager for uh, the next ones, except for this interview. Mm-hmm. Oh and... come on, Jacob! Come on now, and it's <laughs> no, been it? it's been great, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't think the question really is what my vision for the podcast is. Is what's your vision? Because uh, what interests me is most is it you know is what what you will do. Uh... <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting question, and now you're. Uh... Now you're playing devil's advocate a little bit here. I like that. Um, your dad taught you that. Royce was an incredible uh, graphic designer, artist, uh, person. I was rifling through her uh, book covers. There's almost, there's over a thousand book covers that she's done over the course of her career. Probably 2000. I don't know the number, but uh, they were all so wonderfully uh, individualistic. They kind of put you in another world. The strength of those uh, designs, those covers, um, the art behind them, and it really drew me into wanting to read a few stories in those books or the entire book itself. And I did, and I recorded them. And I thought to myself, well, if I could do uh, with my voice and, you know, skills in radio and so forth that um, I've gotten over the years I've acquired um, that Royce did in her art and her graphic design, I'd be a pretty happy guy, you know, Um, and I'd honor her at the same time. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, just being dead honest with you, Jacob, it is a good way, positive way to deal with uh, this hole in my life, you know, the grief. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little shaky here. The grief that I feel you know? Um, and so that's why I, I did it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the right way to respond to, to these things. It's, yeah. it's planting a tree. You're a gardener too. Yes, I am. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so growing stuff helps out a lot because you realize yeah. the cycle of life. And, uh, I don't know if it, you know, if this is pertinent, but, um, she wanted to be uh, her ashes spread on the roof of the Waldorf Astoria uh, because she explained to me that no dog would ever go up to the Waldorf Astoria and take a shit on me. <laughs> and I just thought that was wonderful. And, you know, towards uh, the last week, um, we had to sort of change those plans because the Waldorf was under construction and for renovations. And she said to me, the garden. And uh, I said, okay, it's a garden. So um, the first night of summer, what I did is I, um, I took her ashes, which were quite heavy, by the way. I, I didn't realize the, how heavy the ashes were. <laughs> 
but uh, I took the ashes and I spread them around this old Siberian elm and it overlooks the Hudson River and it's an absolutely uh, mystical, beautiful, you know, very uh, wonderful place to be. And just like a fairy tale, as I was doing it, all these fireflies were encircling me as I was encircling the tree. And I'll just never forget that experience. Yeah, so she, she's there overlooking everything and, uh, and uh, she brought us together. I know this is going to be successful. You know, I know it. That's beautiful, Kevin. I, uh, and I, I believe it will. I believe people will, will find it. Yeah, I think we'll so. We'll do our too. best. I'd like to thank Jacob Smolian for an enlightening conversation and for his wonderful playing of Eric Satie's in Brion de Séché. And I would like to thank especially Royce Becker for being the force that brought this whole thing about. Thank you, my sweetie pie. If you like what you've heard, you can become a Cephalopod subscriber by visiting exactingclam.com. You can also check out our web edition magazine of Exacting Clam, a new magazine of arts and ideas published by Sagging Meniscus Press. I'm Kevin Phillips-Royce, and until next time, clam on.